Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hi, Jefferson. Hello. So on today's episode of Everything is Interesting, we're going to talk about the hive mind. We'll look at how communities of bees, birds, and even slime mold make their decisions through the collective intelligence of the group. And strange as it sounds, how the process our own brains use to make decisions are oddly similar to that of the hive mind. You know what? I don't. I don't like this at all. Saying our brains operate similar to the hive mind sounds too much to me like you're saying we've been assimilated by the Borg. Ooh, the Borg. Ooh. Okay, for those of you unfortunate people out there who didn't get to go through the nerve-wracking experience of watching the crew of the Starship Enterprise engage with the Borg, culminating in Captain Jean-Luc Picard becoming a half-man, half-machine shell of his former self, (laughs) here is a quick breakdown of this quintessential Star Trek The Next Generation story arc. Unwillingly hurled into the farthest reaches of the galaxy, the crew of the Enterprise discover a cube full of creatures who simply call themselves the Borg, a mass of individuals who are linked together and form a central single mind, or the collective. Spoiler alert. Acting as one, the Bo- yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Acting as one, the Borg cube declares its intent to assimilate all human life into the collective, effectively threatening the individuality and freedom of all humans. Trigger warning. <laughs> We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Oh, that still gives me the shivers. Okay, so the Borg are made up of thousands upon thousands of assimilated individuals, all stripped of their individual powers of decision-making and feeling. They speak with one voice. They act as one. They move as one. The Borg are the terrifying realization of science fiction's perfect hive mind. The removal of all individuality in favor of a central unified mind. Yeah, see, so this is exactly why the idea of saying brain and hive mind in the same sentence makes me kind of squeamish. Okay, well, let's start by breaking down It was a TV show, though, right, to be clear? It was a TV show. Star Trek The Next Generation. That's what they want you to think. Please tell me you saw it. I've seen it. Okay. I didn't see. I start. I sort of got off it just as before the Borg started to be a big thing. Oh, that is maybe right. the best story. Like arc. I was still. Yeah, I'm not criticizing, but I I I remember Wesley Crusher, and I think he maybe didn't <laughs> last forever. You know, like yeah. I, I he think was your lasting impression of Star Trek. Pretty much, and and Jordy. <laughs> Jordan Jordy, the guy with the, with the things on his eyes, uh-huh. yeah. and the android guy. So I, I remember, so, yeah, <laughs> okay, nerd alert. Uh, nerd alert. <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. You play that nerd alert clip through this whole, yeah, yeah pretty much just right. every whole moment. episode. Okay, well, uh, anyways, let's start breaking down fact from fiction here. The Borg Collective, while an exceptional sci-fi concept, is not actually a very good example of how the hive minds here on Earth function. So the actions of a hive-minded community, like bees are not driven by many minds operating with the same consciousness the way the Borg is. A hive mind, or swarm intelligence, refers instead to the collective behavior of a self-organized group of individuals, a group that just happens to lack a central leader. So without a centralized decision maker, you might think that each individual in the group would then possess this sort of ultimate free will, right? Choosing their actions independently and selfishly. But that just doesn't fit with the way that a hive mind is able to seemingly act as a collective unit to come to a unanimous decision. 
And one reason may be that the individuals within a hive-minded community may not even think of themselves or their survival as something that's personal and dissociated from the community that they belong to. The same way your hand, if it touched something hot, would cause your whole body to jump backwards rather than like just save its own handy self. Imagine that your hand breaking away from your body going, well, I'm out. (laughs) Done, guys. And also, as it turns out, research is beginning to lead us to suspect that individuals in a community with collective intelligence are indeed free to make their own decisions. And it is the collective decisions of all the individuals in the community that drive the decision-making process of the group as a whole. So to understand this better, let's take a look at how one of the most studied animal collectives, the bees, works. That's how they work. <laughs> End of show. That was my With really. Like, we're getting really succinct, guys. What was that? What was that? What was that was that that instrument that's like what you also use to like wash clothes with old soap? <laughs> a washboard, I think. <laughs> that, you're you know, about? like a wooden stick and like something I used to wash clothes, like Little House on the Prairie, and it sounds like a bad harp. Was that that? That's how bees work. It's a, that was Animal Collective. Oh. You just wouldn't understand. It was it was an attempted pun. Shakira <laughs> <laughs> really skin. wanted to take it out, and I was like, no, no, you I have didn't. to leave it in. I collective. just didn't understand it because I didn't hadn't heard the song. I mean, I know a lot about Star Trek, but apparently I don't know a lot about Animal Collective. We, we That's got, okay. That's okay. It's 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 good. We got a chat in Dulcimer, I think. Yeah, oh, I think that's right. Yeah, very echoey right. Dulcimer. Oh, yes, of course. All right. So back to the bees, right? Besides being incredibly important to our ecology and, you know, the survival of those pollinating plants that we so depend on for food and stuff, uh, bees are also super fascinating hive-minded creatures. A colony of bees is a conglomeration of many individuals all acting for the good of the whole. So a bee colony establishes itself, excuse me, around one queen. Matriarchy. Mm, Yeah, power to the bees, who proliferates this ever-growing colony of workers. And it seems logical to assume that this queen, who's unique and alone, is the leader of the colony. And to bring it back to Star Trek, you might think that a bee queen is akin to the Borg queen, bending the will of the entire hive and issuing orders to her subjects who follow as mindless drones. But not so. Research into bee behavior suggests that the queen does not drive decision-making for the group. She bees, just makes it babies. Seems, yeah, she's... Actually, it's not a matriarchy. It's really, really? kind of sad. Yeah, she's just there to proliferate. So anyways, bees, it seems, operate without a central leader or planner at all. Instead, a swarm is comprised of individual bees making individual decisions based on what they can detect in their immediate environments. And because each bee makes a decision based on responses to different stimuli, opposing ideas inevitably form within the hive. So neurobiologists from Cornell University studied a colony of bees trying to decide on the best place to move and build a new hive. It was on C-SPAN. I don't know. Yeah, they, they, they argued it? it for hours. They use Robert's rule of order. Actually, it's not buzzing. We'll get to that. All right. Yeah. So first, the Hive sent multiple scouting groups out to investigate the many options for new locations. And with a little paint, I'm going to assume washable paint because I'm sure researchers would never do anything to harm bees, the researchers marked the group of scouts who went to the first possible location, yellow, and then the scouts who went to the second location, pink. Upon arriving back at the colony, the pink and yellow groups of scouting bees began to sort of advocate for their preferred location. And they do this via something called the waggle dance. 
This is a figure eight shape movement that tells it. other bees both the direction and the distance to a place of interest. So here's the waggle dance being explained by one of my personal heroes, Sir David Attenborough. The duration of her waggle indicates the distance to the nectar source. The longer the waggle, the further the flower. And the angle at which she dances across the comb tells them the direction to the flower in relation to the sun. I wish you could have seen the video too. It's so cute. You can. You can go on YouTube and watch it. It's like a little puppy being all happy and waggling. (laughs) So in the case of finding a new hive, each waggle dance essentially provides directions for the chosen site, saying loud and clear to the fellow bees, hey, I found our new home. It's over here. Come follow me. Bees who witness the various versions of the waggle dance begin to join up with the scouting groups, and the numbers of bees advocating for each hive site begins to grow. Upon first inspection, you might assume that this is sort of just a simple honeybee version of voting, right? Each bee seemingly casts a waggle dance vote for their preferred location for the new hive. But this assumption fails to account for one very important detail when it comes to voting in a hive-minded society. There's no leader to end up declaring a winner. But coming to a consensus about where to build the hive is crucial for the bees, right? I mean, the entire colony must move to the new site together in order to successfully reestablish themselves and ensure the queen doesn't get lost in the chaos. In a hive-minded society, competing opinions make the community unstable. So without a leader to make the final call, how do the bees move on from waggle dance voting stage for, you know, opposing choices to eventually reaching a final unanimous decision? Well, they headbutt each other. What? I'm interested. They headbutt each other. Have, mm-hmm. For real? Yeah, you got to watch the video. It's great. When researchers observed the pink bees doing their waggle dance, they noticed that the yellow bees made a brief headbutt to the original dancer's head and thorax, and vice versa when the yellow bees were dancing. The headbutts eventually ended the bees' dance, appearing, appearing to signify the yellow bees' disagreement with the pink dancing scout's choice for where to put the new hive. Ah, uh, okay. So when a headbutt halts bees' dancing, it effectively inhibits that bee's ability to advocate for their chosen site. Uh, yes. So now you've got some bees waggle dancing one way, like, hey, I want to live by the roses, look at my butt. And other bees waggle dancing another way, like, hey, I want to live by the lemon tree, look at my butt. <laughs> and all kinds of bees agreeing and joining in and disagreeing and, well, headbutting other bees to keep them from dancing out their directions There's their, a debate and their feelings. Style. There is a debate method like this. I tried Googling, I can't find it. it, it, it I think it was an English-style with debate. With humans? With humans. Oh. I don't think they say, look at my butt, although <laughs> they probably did at some point, right? <laughs> Too and, bad. I and I think it only devolved in a head butts on occasion after uh-huh. like multiple steins of some alcoholic beverage right. but where essentially the uh, you move to a side of the room to help decide and figure out what the group thinks and by the way I find the hive mind discussion really important because more and more research is showing that hive minded decisions are better than individualized decisions sure. and even better than just major- majoritarian decisions so I'm I, I'm riveted right now keep talking about butts I and can, head butts I can tell you're <laughs> on the edge of your seat and get Literally. back to us get back to us when you figure out who was headbutting who in said debates and, and if they were actually waggling. It sounds like how we used to make decisions in elementary school, actually. Um, so, getting, okay, back to the bees again. As these bees are sort of dance fighting their way to a decision in the hive, fighting. then the slightly more popular opinion becomes 
amplified, right? More bees join in the popular dance and participate in inhibiting the dancers representing the less popular choice. And eventually, one waggle dance prevails and becomes the hive mind's consensus. In this way, the collective decisions of the individual bees determine the winning site, and the bees can begin construction of their new home. So in a hive of bees, it is the interactions between individuals with opposing ideas that actually drives the decision-making process and the so-called swarm intelligence of the entire group. And believe it or not, this is very similar to the way the neurons in our brains work together to make decisions that drive each of our lives. And also a really beautiful, I mean, I know it's not voting, but like, it's a beautiful demonstration of how democracy could work yep. if we all just waggled our butts. All of us, all of us are smarter than any of us. Yes. Right. It, it, not if the decision making is corrupted, not if there is, not if there are too much bully voices, but mm-hmm. all of us are smarter than any of us. Mm-hmm. That's like and If we focus on the survival of, of the hive. Yeah. Just headbutt anybody you disagree with. That's who, that's the take. <laughs> that's what we want you to no. take away from today. Yeah, really, don't don't take. Head, I'm kidding. giving me a very strong look of disapproval. Uh, th- that was an a, a absolute blank expression. <laughs> I understand my protruding brow. Okay, my male visage generally may suggest a strong look. It j- it's just my face. So when we post <laughs> when we post our visual guide of the many faces of Jefferson, it's really just going to be the same picture. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, oh, one okay. one will be face, and that's what you got. Just face. Yep. Okay. Inside your brain is roughly 100 billion neurons. 100 billion neurons. The cells that send messages and eventually produce thoughts and actions. Each of those neurons is connected to lots of other neurons, and many are connected to the same neurons. So the way your brain comes to a decision about what action to take is by deciding which messages from which neurons are going to get passed down the chain. And since all the neurons are connected, sending messages to and fro, and what's the best way to do this, and what's the best way to do that thing, well, like the bees, the decision with the most support tends to win out. So imagine it's, uh, I don't know, Friday night, and you're trying to decide what to do with yourself. First, because you're popular, you get a call from your friend Susan who tells you there's a party tonight and that you should totally go to that. In your brain, this messaging would actually be sent via neurotransmitter chemicals and not cell phones. But let's stick with the metaphor for a minute, okay? So then the phone rings again because you're popular. And hey, (laughs) it's a call from your friend Sam who says there's a concert going on tonight and that you should totally buy a ticket to that. Uh Uh-oh. Option number two has appeared. And that doesn't even take into consideration the third option. You could stay home and do nothing. That wins. Because you're not quantum, so you have to be somewhere. So now you're standing with your car keys in your hand, trying to make a decision of which of the three options you're going to take. You can think of a good reason to attend the concert. You can think of reasons to go to the party. You can think of reasons to stay home, but you can't be in all three places at once. So you're going to have to come to some kind of consensus about which option to choose. This is a struggle. Until a few minutes later when your friends Sarah, Sohil, and Saeed also call and tell you that the party is definitely the place to be. Hooray! The decision-making process just got a whole lot easier. With all these supporting opinions from your friends, the party is the clear standout winner for your Friday night fun. And the neurons work the same way. So neuron cells are constantly getting messages from all of their neuron friends, and they have to decide which messages to pass on and which to not. The neuron that descends the signal to your arm to put the keys in the ignition and drive to the party had to first get the message from several other cells that they wanted your arm raised. If your arm-raising neuron gets enough neurotransmitter chemical messages from surrounding cells that the party is the place to be and the arm needs to be raised in order to get you there, opposing messages from other neurons will be silenced. So rather than simply generating correct or not correct ideas and actions, it seems that our brains are actually constantly weighing possible actions and then suppressing all but one of those actions. 
This Neat. is reinforced by the observations that some people who are suffering from brain damage actually have the difficulty inhibiting these multiple possibility thoughts and will often use objects for unintended functions like, say, using a stapler as a hairbrush. Not going to work. This offers a fascinating insight into the way our neurons send messages about possible actions that are, are usually silenced when a cons consensus is reached. So the neurons inside your brain are kind of analogous to the bees in a hive mind colony. Only, instead of a swarm of singular entities moving as one, our brain colony is an intricately connected mesh of neurons. Whew, so we haven't been assimilated by the Borg. That is a relief. I mean, never say never. Yet, right? <laughs> we haven't been do, assimilated do, do. by they the Borg. They still be out there in Yet. the cube. The Borg is a TV show, right? No, the Borg is in Star the Trek. Borg the is in a TV yeah, show. Right? <laughs> yeah. okay. It's inside the show. But you know, they, they but come from the farthest reaches of the galaxy, which we have yet to explore. So potentially, we know there's seven new there. planets, though. That's true. Maybe they're still pretty close. Well, Borg, I mean, the Borg, we're talking like they were hurled into space by this omnipotent deep space, being, really far, cube, more than forty super light years. Deep. They don't even know. They couldn't get back for like a thousand years. All right. It was this whole thing. Got to watch it. Is one of them a cube? The Borg exists in a cube. Like, their ship looks like this giant metal cube, and then inside there's just rows and rows of them all hooked up to this crazy-looking, you know, 1995-looking look like? sci-fi. Uh, they kind of look like a half-man, half-machine. So they'll have, like, an eyepiece, okay. like Terminator. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Very similar. I think I remember seeing one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I was waiting for that one. I mean, <laughs> we, I could have gone on and We take those, like, on. trophies all right, on the show. go on, show. go on. All right, so the decision-making processes of bees and brains make sense to me. It's, it's like we talked about just a minute ago. It's almost democratic, right? The bees express their bee opinions, taking the time for elaborate dances, and eventually a consensus is reached. But what about animal collectives that seem to make decisions about what to do and where to go nearly instantaneously? The first example that springs to mind are those birds that are most dear and near to our Portlander hearts, the Vox Swift. Oh, the Swifts. Mm-hmm. Love the swifts. Me too, that's why we're talking about them. Shh. You don't want to scare them away. <laughs> we have some right here in the studio, guys. So multiply that sound by 30,000, and you may recognize that as the soundtrack to the epic display of swifts finding their nighttime home in the chimney of Chapman Elementary School. Each September, Portland is lucky enough to be the gathering place for around yeah, usually 10,000 of these birds preparing for their migration down to Central America. High above Chapman Elementary, the swifts form a solid undulating bird cloud before suddenly beginning their dive into the chimney as suddenly as if a silent alarm clock went off. We I mean, if you've it. been it's there and seen it, it's, it's amazing. And anyone who has witnessed this breathtaking event can tell you the birds seem to change shape and direction almost simultaneously, more resembling the way a piece of fabric moved in, moves in the wind than a group of individuals making individual decisions. Which is good, because if they didn't, they would run into each other a lot. It'd be chaos. So, however, we don't typically think of birds as being part of a hive mind. The Murmuration. Way you know what I learned? I kept calling it a murmuration, and then I found out that murmurations that word only applies to, oh no, the other bird that does this. Swifts, it's technically the name for a bird, uh, 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 starlings. Is it a starling? I think so. Yeah, because I kept saying murmuration and then I was like, oh, murmuration is the name of a group. Warblers. Sure, of a group of warblers. And swifts, a group of swifts is just called a flock. Isn't that boring? It's like swifts and pigeons. They I, don't need a cool name. They're just yeah. cool in of themselves. So I will say, I will say, I believe it's okay to say murmuration. I looked it up. Murmuration, definition one, the action of murmuring. 
<laughs> murmuration <laughs> of a flock of warblers. Definition two is where you're sharing right now. And I appreciate your endorsement of definition two, which I is like a flock of starlings. Gotta be yeah. So it's correct that a that a swift is a group of swifts uh-huh. is, is is a flock of swifts. But that flock of swifts can murmurate. Are you using the connotation? Uh, oh, you're just saying they're murmurate. loud. It can, so murmurate what? works as a verb in this case. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> oh, okay. we all learned something. So <clears throat> we don't think of birds as being part of this hive mind, right? Because birds are usually, they seem to be motivated by their own survival rather than the survival of like a bird hive. So how does it work? How do tens of thousands of swifts that are normally just thinking their own singular bird thoughts move with the grace of a singular a singular entity? So this dragon-shaped cloud of unified bird movement is actually another example of many individuals contributing to collective decision-making. As there is no one bird acting as the leader, each individual is responsible for both navigating its own path and adjusting to the navigation of, well, its seven closest neighbors. And because every neighbor also has seven of its own neighbors, everyone is constantly adjusting their movements to everyone else's trajectory. All the time, no matter how large the group is which is crazy. So Giorgio Parisi, the theoretical physicist who's kind of the expert on this bird topic, calls these bird formations a type of critical system, a group that's on the brink of near instantaneous transformation, sort of like snow on the overhang of a mountain. So one singular snowflake could be the impetus for an avalanche, and we would call this the critical transition, the small change that began a massive transformation for every member of the system. Parisi declared that in the flight formation of the Swifts, Every movement is a critical transition because every movement causes a massive response from the entire group. As for how this adjustment happens so quickly, we really have no idea. The closest comparison we have for this type of behavior is the way magnetized electrons in a material spin in response to the seven electrons around it. But electrons don't have to wait for neurons to communicate and make the decisions about which direction they should spin, the way birds' brains do. The way a bird's brain... Oh, sorry, the way a bird's brain decides which way it has to fly. And so the research into this... Is this into where the, the Swiss, phrase bird brain came from? No, that refers to it being a tiny brain, okay. like a walnut brain. All right. It might right. even be so, And so the, the research into Swift's collective flight behavior still needs to continue before we really understand it. So to be fair... Birds and bugs are not the only creatures that operate as a community with collective intelligence. Another fascinating example is slime mold. On these rotting tree trunks, something is alive. They can stand upright and produce spores, but they're not fungi or plants. When they're hungry, they spread across the forest, chasing food, but they're not animals. They're slime molds. A slime mold exists at the boundary between liquid and solid. Each one is like one big cell. And it moves in a very strange way. See how it pulses, a little bit forward, a little bit back, spreading and searching for bacteria or fungi to eat. Ooh, did you hear the squelching? That's such a good (laughs) sound sound effect. It's moving. Thanks, PBS, for that explanation. A cellular slime mold is strange for lots of reasons, not the least of which is that they have no brains. They have no brains. No brains, guys. They're kind of like jellyfish, right? Slime mold grows instead like a bacterial colony, but it's actually a single entity. There are two kinds, cellular and acellular. So cellular slime mold. 
begins life as individuals, and each single-celled organism is making a decision for itself, what to eat, where to go. However, when danger arises, the many slime mold cells come together and form a many-celled shape, slug-shaped creature that is capable of escaping danger more quickly. Why can it escape more quickly? I don't. Well, instead of scattering. Normally, should every, every person for themselves scatter <laughs> to the wind. And there's a no-no, clump together, I and think, then we will be a slug, so to be fast. It's just go faster than an individual Well, there's, there's something else that happens. So it forms the slug, and then if, let's say, it can't get away, it actually forms, and I'm, I'm not 100% clear on how. No. This weird, strange <laughs> get stock. Get on that evolution. stock with, like, this little puffball on the end that explodes yeah. and sends sort of these like cells spores? out. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's correct to call them spores, I but think it, so. it's That's similar. Where think poof, it. And then that way, if there's something attacking the body of the slime mold, it's okay because it's just sent all these little mini So is this slime real or is this part of the out. TV show? No, no, this, this, is, this is real. Is real. <gasps> it's a totally Everything interesting Everything is interesting. I know. Slime, slime molds, molds especially. Oh, man, so cool. you can like go down a rabbit hole of slime molds. I mean, the information. Yeah. About. You could also go down a rabbit hole of slime mold, but that'd be disgusting. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. I mean, the, what they do when they're in danger is sort of like, it'd be like if, if Portland was in danger and we were all going to die. And so we came together and we like created a tower and then we shot all of our babies into space. And they were fine. Because <laughs> we were like, no existence space. So, okay, the other kind of slime mold is called acellular slime mold. And it actually begins as one large sort of globulous organism. But then what's crazy is if the glob is broken up, sort of cut into pieces, torn apart, then each individual piece will still function and grow like an individual life form. However, if you cram all those pieces back together, then they're going to kind of glob together again and form a single hive-minded organism. Which, like, maybe that sounds normal. I'm sort of like Gak, right? Like, remember Gak? And you could take it, right? It wasn't alive, anyway. though. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Was, it like green? was it green? <laughs> sure. A lot of it was. Yeah, it was just it's that slime, like, putty that. stuff. It was like, like yucky like, putty. Pu- and yucky, it would yeah, fart exactly. if you pushed your thumb into it, weirdly. <laughs> really? But, but you could, I mean, but the crazy thing about it was that you could, you could pull it apart, and then you could push it back together, and it'd be like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. But it's... Slime mold is alive. Like, why does that happen? Here's my second favorite chat in this morning. Yes, Gak. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Someone else is in there, too. This yes, Gak. Thank you. Yay! I do remember Gak. So what's really weird about slime mold is how it moves and grows. If you ever watch a slime mold move in a time-lapse video, it pulses and bulges, like, outwards. It's really strange. And each end of the slime mold appears to be individually making decisions for the whole organism about how to grow around obstacles, how to get food, but without the use of connecting neurons. Because no brains, right? So this unique brainless decision-making process of the slime mold makes it of great interest to biologists who are studying collective behavior. And the Republican Party! Oh! Oh, I'm joking. It always and comes back science to that. is nonpartisan. And GAC, ev- GAC lovers everywhere. It's less nonpartisan now. Science <laughs> is a little more partisan than it used to be. It should be nonpartisan. <laughs> We don't yet understand how this sort of slug, slug-shaped mass of slime mold cells makes decisions. It's possible there is some sort of centralized leader cell, or maybe each cell is responding to the movement of each other cell, like the swifts in their tornado cloud. It's even a possibility that slime mold represents the... Regardless, the ability for many cells of the slime mold, individual cells, to come together and work in unison towards a common goal, offers clues into how multicellular organisms like us may have first come into being. Either way, cellular slime mold is a fascinating example of how many individuals suddenly become a hive-minded community. And we clearly still have a lot to learn about what individuality and collective consciousness really are. Cue another Republican joke here. No. And imagine if, if instead of the Borg, the Starship Enterprise had encountered a slime mold in space. Would that have been as good? Uh, 
I have no, no. answer for you. <laughs> no, I, my belief about slime molds is like the opposite of my petting theory, right? So there's certain animals we treat nicely and certain animals we treat not nicely. Ah, yes. And a lot of it has to do with whether we can imagine snuggling them. <laughs> and, and, and I believe that, so, and then, you know, just like different shapes generate different emotions. Slime mold does not attract interest. Okay. To it, you, maybe. It, it, it attracts, it, it in, uh, generates disgust, I think. Or maybe fascinated. So horror. speciesist, this conversation right now. I am not. I, I, I am trying to describe, not prescribe. I am not trying to recommend. I am trying to explain that I believe mm-hmm. you see a slime mold and you don't say. Now everything is interesting, as we learned from you. So yeah. you might go, "Hey, look at that. Let's investigate it." But I think a lot oh, of yeah. other people will say, Ugh. "I could spend a really long time <laughs> looking at slime mold, especially if I could see it, it right in time now? lapse." Just kind of go radio silent and stare at slime mold. For <laughs> yeah. You're listening to KXRY Portland. You listen to KXRY Portland 107.1, 91.1 FM, and KXRW. LP Vancouver 99.9 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Radio is yours. What did we learn? Kieran, Kira, what did we learn this morning? I learned that uh, you should enjoy recreational marijuana while you can, because Jeff Sessions does not want you to. I learned that a murmuration actually refers specifically to starlings, but can be used as a verb to describe other the birds. The first definition <laughs> is, the, is the act of murmuring, murmurating. Oh, right. Or, or also speaking. Like that, right? <laughs> to murmurate. Blah, 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 so blah, it is, blah. It, you are, it's fake news that, that you can't, that, the star, that, the, that they don't murmurate. They oh, murmurate. They're our own worst enemy. It is just, the, 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 true, the true news is that it is a flock that is murmurating, not that it is itself uh-huh. a murmuration. But the act of doing it, it can be a murmuration. Welcome to X-Ray, where we tell you the truth. I find grammar interesting. It or doesn't we show mean you the I duality do it correctly things, all the time. But there's many ways to interpret a single situation. Yeah. Rob Whitehead, what we learn? Uh, I learned that hive minds have no leader, and to reach a consensus, they headbutt each other. So maybe that would work in the legislature. I don't know. No, wouldn't work. <laughs> I don't think it'd work, but there are. Uh, I do find the hive mind thing really interesting. That that uh, in the past, tapping collective intelligence was thought to be sort of slow and dull, but now with m- more study into swarm intelligence and not just slime molds, bees, and, and murmurations, uh, but even how, like for instance, the uh, uh, there was an online swarm that correctly predicted Joe Biden would not run for president. Also predicted the Royals would win Game One of the World Series. Uh, that 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 you've had these sort of experiments where uh, swarm brains uh, have made interesting decisions and been more accurate than polls, for instance. Uh, Nick, what did we learn? I learned that France liked our last president so much that they might want him to uh, come and be their president because they don't have very many uh, super inspiring candidates right now. Yeah. What did we learn, Chelsea Fowler? 
I learned that other people uh, remember Gak. Yeah. That stuff was great. <laughs> they, they remember the Borg and they remember the Gak. Uh-huh. Do you have any Gak memories? Yeah. yeah I got in lots of trouble because I had Gak all the time. It was like in my hair. Did you eat it? Uh, no, I would sl- like fall asleep with it in my hands, so I had to have my hair cut once. <laughs> Had a gag. Was gag that sticky? Uh, you can't. I may, uh, yeah, when you're playing with it that much. Did sticky. you have a gag problem as well? <laughs> yeah, I definitely. I've had gum and gag and stuff in your stuck hair. In my hair. Yeah, I had yeah, to right. cut hair off a lot. It was Tennessee. Also, <laughs> Lily and Macroeconomics class for Muggles Mondays March sixth to the twenty seventh. Also, Maryland will be Mondays March sixth to the twenty seventh. Improvisation for mindfulness. Couple pugs classes coming up. We also learned that the president is uh, did not remove his pants or yell or say American Carnage and therefore is presidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another thing I think we learned, but also learned is adopting the same kind of policies that folks didn't like that much when George W. Bush did them. So we'll see how Americans like them when Donald Trump does them. Want to say thanks to everybody. Want to say thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Hosley Eco Automotive. You can find out more at HosleyEcoAutomotive.com. Also thanks to Tom Dwyer Automotive. The revolution is not an apple that falls when it is ripe. You have to make it fall. Thanks, everybody, and thank you, Democracy.